all, so this goes to you and to the team for all the hard work we put in day in and day out. <laughs> we about to get it in, baby. Let's get it. Welcome to the fifth edition of Our Kind of Pod for the 2018 UW football season. Joining me as always is Michael Stanton to break down the goings-on with this UW football team. Uh, today we went off the beaten path and talked to Jake Browning like it or not, uh, but then also how good this defense is, the problems on offense, and I kind of lost my mind for a second about the targeting rule, just had enough over there. Uh, that plus Pac-12 talk, the national scene, Great Cat, and OKG of the Week. Enjoy it. <laughs> All right, I am uh, back with Michael Sin for round two of the fifth episode of Our Kind of Pod. We just realized uh, that he and I... We're recording for the first minute and a half. Good thing we caught that. Uh, it was the best opening we've ever done. Honestly, it might have been. It was It was so smooth. <laughs> we, we got into the nature of the word incomparable. Uh, we we're talking about pizza and beer. It was It was just phenomenal, and mm-hmm. that's, that's too bad. Uh, it was an incomparable opening, I can tell you that much. Yeah, yeah, good point. Yeah, uh, pizza and beer, as good a combo as it can be. Um, I, I feel the same way as I do after pizza and beer uh, with like being in a Trader Joe's. I just I can't frown no matter what. Even if I can't find it because Trader Joe's selection is so minimal, I just, I just it's so pleasant in there. It's they have probably the best frozen food section I've encountered at a grocery store. So I'll just lay that on the line. Yeah, uh, it's it's nice to have a guy on this podcast who's willing to just stand up for what he believes and yeah. really orange chicken. It's a oh, must buy. Oh my god, it's so good! Orange chicken <laughs> with some rice. You f- you yeah. feel like you're like the head chef at a PF Chang's after you crank that out. I think you might be. <laughs> yeah, that's true. PF <laughs> Chang's has been uh, upselling you on very okay food for a long time. Um, <laughs> so those are the things we like: uh, pizza and beer and Trader Joe's. We also like Husky wins, especially the twenty-one to seven kind over a team that. Uh, we were both a little apprehensive about against Utah. Um, on one hand, you could say we doubled the point spread. We beat them. Uh, felt so good about the game that I bought tickets to come home for the Stanford game. So I'll be in, in Seattle for the November 2nd tilt against the Cardinal. Uh, yet, yet it was still a, still a weird game because I just I feel mm-hmm. like that's this team's destiny is just to uh, to win and then also madden us at the exact same time. Yeah. But you got to, you know, maintain some perspective. That's the 26th rated team in the country when we played them. And we beat them on the road in a very, very tough place to play against a really good defense. So, honestly, I don't really care how we won. I just care that we did win. Mm-hmm. And I think other people should should realize that as well. Uh, yeah, that was uh, certainly the state or the sentiment of Jake Browning leaving that game. He was asked immediately after the game, and his first comment was, "I hope that people remember uh, that we went into to Utah and beat them by 14 points." Uh, sadly for Jake, that's not how Twitter works, and uh, things are a little more complicated for our friend JB number three. Uh, let's just go right into four, to four downs because the first down happens to do uh, or happens yeah happens to do with uh, with Jake Browning chapter three of us of us talking about this guy. Yeah, this is the third week in a row we've I think we've opened with Jake Browning. Um, yeah, but it was a, it was a tale of two halves for Jake. He started out in the first half going nine for fourteen for hundred and ten, no touchdowns, interceptions. Second half was a little rockier, five for ten, forty five yards, one touchdown. 
and then that interception mm-hmm. that everybody is still talking about. I think I think people are failing to look past that though because I I get it like it was a pretty bad interception and at this point he should never be making decisions like that. But outside of that he he played a a decent game in my opinion, especially given the defense he was facing facing um like for instance look at his scramble touchdown pass to ty jones in the corner that's a great play he also had a third third down conversion late in the game to aaron fuller on third and eight for 14 yards which extended the drive another two minutes or so Mm -hmm. uh this is i think it was around the four and a half minute mark left in the game and we were able to whittle it down to 233 after that Um, we ultimately had the punt but that was a big play um so i I'm not too bummed about Jake's performance other than that one play, but I think people are just not even giving him a chance, giving his performance a chance because of that interception, um, which is a little disappointing in my mind. But um, Peterson did mention that they want to give him better options on third down, something that develops a little bit quicker than what they did show him. So hopefully he can get a little bit more help in the um, offensive play calling as well. Yeah, I think everyone's aware of it. Jake Brown, I mean, there's no way that you'd talk to Jake Brown and candidly and he wouldn't say, he wouldn't tell you how awful of a play that was. Uh, Chris Peterson said as much in the press conferences that, you know, if anyone knows how bad that was, it's it's him. It's just unfortunate that if you close your eyes and think about what is like your iconic Jake Browning play, it's kind of this like jump man logo but spinning spinning backwards and throwing into nothing or getting sacked uh, at this point and that's kind of like the the uh the lasting image of jake brownie that people have in their in their mouths right now um which is unfortunate because i think i i i'm really battling the jake browning apologist which is what we talked about last week inside me that wants to say look you know he got it out a win tough place to play he got he got that hit that hit on that um that roughing the passer targeting play and then got right back up of it he's making throws that that are um are new for him i think like the the throw to fuller down the sideline for big gain uh but leading up to that screenplay or to to the three consecutive screenplays like those types of things from him are new and great and things that you know will ultimately lead to wins uh, or can ultimately lead to wins. It's just that we're not dealing with like incomplete passes or miss receivers as mistakes. We're dealing with these like massive losses of yardage, and I think that that's that's kind of the biggest thing that's going against him in terms of uh, of public perception. Mm-hmm. And he did talk about how last season he did basically everything in his control to avoid taking a sack, mm-hmm. and that was a downside of his game last season and has shown that it has been a downside of his game this season. Um, So he's not there yet, but I know that was an area of improvement he wanted to make going into the season. So hopefully he can come to that realization that, hey, maybe I should just throw it away instead of scrambling back 15 yards behind the line of scrimmage. Right. And that's that's the part of me that's like the, you know, the the, I don't even want to say if it's a pessimist or a realist or the just the apologist in me is running out of strength to keep this going. Um, but I think if I want to put on, like, let's, let's be real about this. Jake Browning is a senior quarterback, 40 plus starts in his career. Uh, all of the talk from last off season or last season to this season was about, uh, you know, from him and from other people about, uh, he was going to stop trying to do too much. And I think that that was very tongue in cheek for these types of plays, these spin back plays, uh, that were endemic at the Stanford loss last year of the Arizona state Mm -hmm. loss. Um, and I think, 
to still see those is frustrating given that I think everyone in the, in the building knew that that was kind of, if he could just cut that out last year and now we're heading into week four and that's still part of it. Um, I, I, I think though that the difference is just as simple as just stepping up in the pocket because none of this happens. Mm -hmm. If in any of those situations uh, you're going forward in the pocket rather than backwards, because if you do take a sack, it's, not as catastrophic. Uh, and then also it's just evading pressure in a positive way and allowing him to continue to see receivers down the field rather than make this young offensive line kind of uh, hang with him and, and keep, keep, uh, keep locks on while he's scrambling around. I, I agree with you. I think there should, we should make the point though, that that pocket may not necessarily be there at every, every play Very as true. we've seen. Um, so just something to keep in mind, you know, he's dealing with a piece together offensive line. So, um, that doesn't help things out either. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, the, the, the book is still being written on, on Browning and, and hopefully, uh, he will maybe be third down next week of, of us talking about it and probably in a positive sense or hopefully in a positive sense, uh, yeah. at that point. But, but it is, it's both, uh, something that you can brush under the rug, but also I think frustrating that we still have to talk about. Um, these types of plays. Obviously, the the play in question here is the the atrocious should have been a pick six um, on a on a, a screenplay um, that uh, that eventually the UW defense bailed them out. That's the play we're talking about. Um, talking about that defense though for second down, I think <laughs> I, I I could go into details here of like you know Taylor Rapp is great, Byron Murphy is great, Tevis Bartlett is great. Ben Burkirvin is great. Thanks to Jordan Miller for getting the first interception of the year. All of those mm-hmm. things are true, and we, we definitely could do that. Uh, but I think the more interesting question is, would you rather have this year's defense, the 2018 version, or the 2016 defense uh, for the Alabama team? And that defense obviously includes, uh, you know, Buda Baker, Sidney Jones, Kevin King, um, in, you know, uh, uh, Azim Victor, Keyshawn Pieria, um Vita Vea, Greg Gaines. I mean, that defense has some guys that are playing on Sundays on it right now. So uh, let's start there. Which defense would you rather roll out with for one game, the 2016 D or this year's? It's That's a tough question because there's not all those the players on the current team have kind of grown into what they can be, I think. I think there is still more uh, that this defense can give, which is a crazy statement mm-hmm. given how great they've been. But you're talking about a few players that are stars right now that you know are underclassmen still. Um, whether I'd prefer the 2016 team defense or the 2018 defense, uh, man, that is tough. I mean, I, without looking the numbers and just just thinking about them in general, they are almost identical to me. Um, mm-hmm. I, I really don't know. I really don't know what to say. All I know is when you have a defense like this, they're going to keep you in ball games for the for the entirety of a season. So, um, yeah, I, I think I think it's I think they're almost on the same playing field. Yeah, it's it's kind of it's not apples to oranges, but it kind of is because I think that team and the following year's team uh, was a lot more conservative and reliant on talent and just knew that they could keep everyone in front of them um, and give mm-hmm. pressure. As a, as a normal byproduct of the defensive line, whereas this year's team kind of has to be a little ballsier with with their uh, with their pressures and the way they bring bring linebackers and get 
Taylor Rapp in the box and bring him off pressure and bring corner blitzes. Um, so I kind of like watching this year's defense more just because yep. I think it's it's a little more creative because it has to be because it's, I don't think it is as talented as that year's team was. Um, mm-hmm. And so you see a little bit more uh, interesting things happen by watching this year's defense, whereas that defense was just so good that it was just impossible to move the ball. But they also didn't have to do a lot of outside-of-the-box uh, play calling to make that happen. I, I think this is a product of Jimmy Lake now calling the plays um, on defense, just because he seems to be involving the secondary a bit more, uh, like you were saying, on those blitzing packages and things of that nature. Um, so I think that may be one of the reasons why it's a little bit more, uh, should I say, exotic or uh, just interesting in that regard. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, the, the you know Taylor Rapp's presence in the pass rush. Uh, was really, really well followed by uh, an Adam Jude story about how he has been studying uh, the Vaughn Millers and the Aaron Donalds of the world about mm-hmm. how to, uh, to to get involved in the pass rush and to study the, the NFL greats. Uh, Byron Murphy already had or had four pass defenses in the Utah game alone. Mm-hmm. Um, he Byron Crazy. Murphy is just he's everywhere. Uh, the, he sniffed out a screen early in that game that was just like it, it was it was as if he knew. Like it was, it was like the, uh, I don't know if you ever played backyard football on, on the mm-hmm. game. It was like the magnet play. Have you ever like, yep. got one of those <laughs> cheap plays where it just oh, brought, yeah. brought you right to the ball? Um, that's what it felt like watching Murphy sometimes and just a very athletic guy, but also a very smart uh, player as well. He's in Pablo Sanchez form. He really words. is. Yeah. There's some scenarios. Uh, if he shows up against Arizona state with a backwards hat on, then, then we know we have some, uh, <laughs> Pablo also had a little bit of beer gut at age eight. So that was that was concerning. Questionable. Yeah. Yeah. Concerning. But speaking of Murphy, uh, on on a less serious matter. Speaking of Murphy, <laughs> um, he's going up against Enkil Harry this week. Yep. Which is maybe the best matchup in the conference this season. Uh, and then you've got to think about the storyline as those guys actually grew up living under the same roof in high school for a bit. Mm-hmm. So they're really close friends. They're as a, I mean, they're basically brothers. So that is going to be an amazingly awesome matchup to watch this coming weekend. I can't wait. This is kind of like when uh, you and I inevitably get matched up on each other at Turkey Bowls every year because mm-hmm. because yeah. of just our similar playing styles. It, it, um, <laughs> <laughs> you mean you mean out of shape, <laughs> like really bad? Yeah, something like that. Um, <laughs> something like that. So yeah, they, the the Chandler natives will go head to head. I think. Uh, yeah, Murphy will have his hands full with with Nikhil Harry this week, but then also uh, with JJ Arcega Whiteside coming up in a few weeks against Stanford. Those should be should be fun to watch. Um, moving on from the defense, the run game got a little bit better over the weekend. Uh, Miles Gaskin goes 30 carries for the first time ever in his career uh, for Buck 45, if I'm not mistaken. Um, that was good to see, but still still not great out of the run game. What did you notice uh, on Saturday? I, I hate to do this, but he actually had 32 carries in, in his freshman year Apple Cup. Really? So wow, he did. All right, I, that I looked at I looked that up specifically. Yeah, we're gonna but anyway, cut that out for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Besides the point, yeah, I mean the running the running game did what they needed to do, and they just ate clock. And you know, 30 carries for 143 yards. Um, that 30 carries—that's a lot of carries. He's definitely he definitely was failing that the next day. Um, 
But he really set the tone, Gaskin did, uh, at the beginning of the game with that 38-yard touchdown around the corner. And I was actually listening to it on the radio when I was rushing to get in front of a TV. Um, I was in the car. And Damon Hewitt said he's never seen Gaskin uh, hit the corner and just accelerate the way he did through that touchdown. Mm. And it was just great to see him involved because I know it's been slow going so far. He's With, the, with that quote-unquote slow going, he's still... F- all the way up to fourth in the conference in rushing right now. So uh, I think I think we will be seeing the Gaskin that we are used to moving forward. But mm-hmm. what was a bit more concerning is just Savan Ahmed only getting three touches the whole game for a total of five yards. It makes you wonder if something's up with him, maybe some undisclosed injury that's nagging him. But I thought it was a little bit weird, especially when they were giving snaps to McGrew um, and Pleasant over him as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, there was uh, there was one play. I mean, the, the Sean McGrew I think saw the field before Ahmed did. I don't. I didn't check the snap count uh, officially, but it at least felt like McGrew's snap count was either equal to or higher than than Savon Ahmed's. And then Kamari Pleasant was in the backfield with with uh, Gaskin on one of the the uh, goal line wildcat plays as well. Uh, Pete mentioned the potential. Coach Chris Peterson mentioned the potential for quote unquote health stuff. As uh, as the reason that, the, that some of these guys don't play, um, and you know if that's Stuff. if that's a valid medical excuse, then the next time I call in sick to anything, it'll be due to health stuff. Um, mm-hmm. So th- there's always the potential for that, and you never want to you know to 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 assume that it's based off of something like that. But just by, by a talent perspective, I mean Ahmed just has such a, a visible and tangible uh, effect on games, or in theory could. I get the knock on him right now is that he's not a very great north-south runner, uh, the conventional sense like Gaskin is. Um, but I don't think that makes him a player that isn't worth having on the field in some capacity because um, there are plenty of, of people who have great careers and can affect games uh, without being great north-south runners uh, from the running back position. So I'm, 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 uh, I'm perplexed as to what's going on there. Yeah, he has one of those. he's one of those talents that can – break it just at any moment Mm -hmm. which is not common with a lot of runners like he kind of has that john ross effect where the defense is knowing where he is at all times just because they know that he can run for 80 just you know like a just with a snap so we saw um, we saw it last year in the uh arizona state game i mean he he had a reverse that was mm -hmm. called back for a touch or a reverse for a touchdown that was called back uh that might have swung that game in a different way uh, UW ends up losing that game, but early in that game, he uh, Ahmed has that play to kind of bust it open. Um, so yeah, I mean this this is a guy who has clear potential. Um, you know, I think Sean McGrew is a, is a, a decent player and could end up having a sure. role. But I mean, I think there's a reason Ahmed was the was basically the became the backup running back at the end of last season um, and was this season, and it we haven't seen him just be featured in any sort of way uh, to start this year. And that might be by design to not give opponents a lot of tape to work with him. Um, but uh, I'm, <laughs> you, when you have Utah and Auburn in your first three games, it, it, those things kind of don't, yeah. don't matter as much. Yeah, agreed. I mean, hey, if he does have something wrong with him, he has quote-unquote health stuff or injury stuff. Uh, if he's able to suit up and at least, you know, be on the field 
just use him as a decoy right because he's gonna attract a lot of attention yeah uh watching the seattle seahawks uh chicago bears uh, game can you call that mm-hmm. uh whatever that was Maybe. on monday uh the way the chicago bears just use the two running backs that they have jordan howard and Tariq cohen on the field at the same time um mm-hmm. is was a little a little maddening and a little unfair uh given the situation we have where i feel like the potential is there to just involve those two players uh in some way and that does take creativity and you might be forcing a square peg in a round hole i get that uh but at a certain point i i still feel like this offense has this next higher gear that involves uh involves definitely. Ahmed. um definitely. all right so the running game is on the upswing especially last week we talked about that that uh that fourth game of the year is really where things seem to pop so hopefully we see a similar uh, similar explosion for the offensive line in the run game next or this weekend against ASU. To fourth down we go, um, and I just kind of have really had enough with the targeting call, and not uh, not in the sense that the call itself is bad or that the rule itself is bad, because mm-hmm. I think the exact opposite. I've had enough of the uh, the backlash to the rule, as it will, and we saw a really good fishbowl of what the targeting rule can look like in both senses and all senses in the Utah UW game on Saturday. Uh, the first one was Marquise Blair, uh, Utah safety and known hard hitter, not unlike Jojo McIntosh uh, coming up to make a play on miles Gaskin on third down. He came up, um, you know, lifted from a crouch, gets his head involved to make contact with miles Gaskin's head. We'll get into the specifics of the rules a little bit. They review the play. He gets tossed as a result. Uh, and then Marquise Blair is walking back on the sideline as he gets ejected. You could tell uh, there was no audio on him, but you could read very well on his lips uh, that he's saying the word pussies over and over and over. My first question is, who are the? Are you talking about the refs? Are you talking about uh, the, uh, the, the, the UW players? Very confused about that. Sec- rule book, maybe. Rule book. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The, the, the writers of the law... Uh, Brian Greasy, the commenter or for the game, uh, color guy for the game, uh, was a big fan of his Jared Stidham wedding analysis or proposal analysis <laughs> early in the year. Not a big fan of him wanting to make exceptions to the rule for targeting because of a player like Marquise Blair's stature. Um, was a little upset by that. Then on Chris Peterson's press conference on Monday, a reporter early in the press conference asks Chris Peterson about uh, you know how great of a, of a hard-hitting game that was, a very physical game. Uh, and then Dave Softy Mahler asks, and, and not really a, a like this wasn't Softy's fault necessarily because Softy was bringing it up as, you know, some fans think that that the game has gotten too soft because of these targeting rules, and it mm-hmm. really set Chris Peterson off. And I was I was very proud uh, of Chris Peterson as I am often proud of Chris Peterson because Peterson's response to that was, the rules are changing and the rules. Well, he was he was pissed at Softy for asking the question, but he says the rules are changing and the rules have changed for the better of the game. And it's still going to be the toughest, most violent team sport I think there is. And I think that everything, like, I really could stop right there because Peterson's point is so, so sentient of just this rule and the toughness and the the physicality of football have basically nothing to do with each other. The toughness and physicality of football happens every single play, whether someone's involving their helmet or not. Uh, the targeting rule is basically to avoid the worst case scenario, both short and long term for players. So my, my question is just like, if you, if you hate the targeting rule and if you complain every single time that someone has to look in the booth and see whether a player gets ejected is, do you really like football or are you just hoping someone dies? 
like that that to me is the is the the crux of this question is are you just watching this hoping that uh that something really really bad happens or are you trying to see this sport last forever because i it it is that simple to me if you if you are are going to flip out and incessantly worry about the softness of the game every single time someone gets called for targeting like i i am i'm just over 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 the ship of of dealing with this and having to, to, to sort through these comments every single week, every single time the game has to get stopped for looking at one of these. I, I think you raise a fair point. I, it's tough because this is change and no one likes change. And <clears throat> football is regarded as, like you were saying, this hard-nosed sport where it's like men are men, you know, blah, 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 whatever. But at the end of the day, it's a rule and you got to adhere to it. Yep. And, you know, like everybody knows what the rule is. So... So it both in both cases this this past weekend, both the calls were correct. He mm-hmm. hit both players were hit in the helmet with the crown of another player's helmet. I mean, it's yeah. pretty clear cut. End of story. Exactly. So I, I don't I don't think you can be angry about that because A, the rules were enacted correctly, and B, oh, by the way, you're actually protecting players' health. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I I agree with you hundred percent. I don't I don't understand the people that are up in arms about this. Um, they should just realize that the game is evolving, and we actually now realize that getting hit in the head is really bad for you. So there you go. Yeah, exactly. And and the the thing about the the change part of it is like the the ejection aspect of targeting. Like it feels pretty new, but it has been in the college football rulebook since 2013. So we're, we're this is year five of if you make target or if you target you will be ejected um so Mm -hmm. it's basically just like you know play by the letter of the law learn the rules and in the likely case because i mean there's there's just some inevitability to the the types of contact that warrant targeting and not every single case of targeting is the liberty punter you know just uh, you know, go haunting himself into another player. Some of them are very <laughs> incidental, and I think that the Marquise Blair one was. However, sure, yeah. it's 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 just it, it's an impossible to avoid situation. So you can't be upset about it because that's just how it's written, and you got caught doing it. But that doesn't make it a baseless rule. It's it's just kind of uh, one of those things that's going to happen in football. But you're doing your best to legislate it out, and that's just how it's going to happen. It's not going to happen. You know, I want to say within five years that this stuff should be gone. Uh, but that's kind of just a fact of football is that you're going to have contact like this. Um, so I, I get Marquise Blair, you're upset, heat of the moment. Uh, but it's it's just upsetting to me that it's like, do you want to just go through a checklist real quick of like, okay, you made forcible contact with your helmet from a crouch. You went upward and forward into someone else's head or neck area. Bing, 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 check, that's targeting. And you give people mm-hmm. enough time, that goes through. Byron Murphy he hits a defenseless player. He didn't use his head or neck, and he didn't make contact with anyone else's head or neck. Uh, mm. Check, right? He stays in the game. It's that simple, um, and uh, it's 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 just frustrating that there's any backlash to this because uh, the, the reason that it's in there is not to uh, you know so- make football soft or to take away from the game. It's for the continuity of the game and. I don't know. I'm 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 done ranting, but I think that uh, that this this culture shift is just taking too long for me to uh, to to actually take place. I think this all just comes down to people just educating as many people as possible as what the rule is, because it, it seemed like 
Utah fans were booing after the game because of those decisions yep. made by the referees to eject players. Um, but like we said multiple times in the segment, it was called correctly. So, um, yeah, just learn learn what the rule is, and then hopefully we'll be okay going forward. I mean, that'll never happen, but <laughs> one can hope. Yeah, uh, yeah. The older you get, the more you realize that asking people to read is uh, way too hard of an ask. <laughs> um, anyways, moving on from that, thank you all for for listening to to me. Just lose my mind for a little bit for that. Uh, <laughs> moving on to our one burning question. Um, we kind of touched on this with the running game piece and Ahmed's uh, lack of involvement is part of this. But my big question here is, what's the deal on offense? Because it goes beyond the running game. It goes beyond Jake Browning's play. Uh, there's like, you know, quantitatively, I'm not really as worried about the score and the yards and things like that. Utah's a very good defense. Auburn is a very good defense. Um, North Dakota's, a, I'm kidding. Um, but <laughs> qualitatively, without the, the, the yards and the scores, I'm not really seeing um, amazing, like interesting things on offense like I am on the other side of the ball with defense. So uh, I'm, I, you, I know you and I share the sen- those sentiments, but what has been the most frustrating part of this offense for you? I think there's two things that are causing the issues on offense. I think one, you can uh, touch on play calling in this case. Bush Hamden, his first year as offensive coordinator, has made some questionable calls in certain situations, has come out and said post-game that maybe that that wasn't the right call. Um, so he knows it. I'm, I don't really have – I'm not really nervous about that. I think he's a good enough coach where he can figure out where he may be faltering in some cases and improve on that. Um, I think the main – issue on offense is just the offensive line and this shouldn't come as a surprise to anybody but that's where everything starts and stops is your offensive line same goes for the defense too on the defensive line luckily we have a great defensive line but on the offensive line it's just been we've been ravaged by injuries um with trey adams gone nick harris was was um struggling and had to come out of the game um this past weekend as well as just probably some underperformers. I think Wattenberg got removed um, just based on performance in the second half this past weekend. Henry Bonavalu came in. Um, then you had Jesse Sosby playing in, in place of the aforementioned Harris injury. Um, you also had Henry Roberts playing some time at left tackle in place of Hilbers. Not sure if that was performance related or not. Just wanted to shuffle guys in. I know Pete said they have eight to nine guys that they think are in the starting neighborhood, so they can really interchange. But um, they got to figure that that out on the offensive line because McGarry is pretty much your only tried and tested consistent starter mm-hmm. on that line, and that's just not going to cut it at this point. Right. Yeah. Well, one uh, one high level NFL prospect is not going to carry an offensive line. Um, and I mean, a lot of that too is like if if the Trey Adams injury has had had happened uh, mid July versus happening when it did uh, right before the Auburn game, I think that things are probably a little bit different just because of the continuity piece of you you wouldn't know uh, who those five guys on offense on the offensive line are for a little bit longer than they have. Um, sure. So there's that part of it. There's the you know that fourth week bump that we talked about both this week and last week. And there's just I, it feels like the the narrative out there and for for you know for act for for a valid reason is kind of this cohesion piece for the second time this year uh, it happened like midway through the second quarter 
we saw a play where the the entire or the 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 center snaps it and then the entire offensive line is still like a, a beat and a half behind that um mm-hmm. so the the pass rush is coming as you know basically shortly after the ball is snapped um that happened you know infamously at the end of the auburn game as well yep. so really hurt yeah you know there's that cohesion piece and everyone's talked about it and the play calling piece um i also kind of see the there's like the personnel aspect of um just trying to figure out what to do with all these targets and and weapons that that everyone has or that we have on offense um, you know, what do you do with McClatcher as he's coming back? How is that different than how you use Ahmed? How do you keep guys like McGrew and, and Kamari Pleasant involved? Um, that part of it, I think, is just time. And, you know, all of these things in conjunction at once is very difficult for a first-year offensive coordinator to deal with. I get that. Mm-hmm. Um, but last week, I mean, we talked about the, the lack of tempo and, and, and no huddle offense and how, that you know, that's a real strong suit. And then against Utah – in a situation where that's a very tough defense, you one of your best offensive skills is going no huddle. We don't see it at all. Not a single drive included no huddle. Um, so it's it's just a little confusing given that we've seen pockets of success of no huddle doing well, uh, you know, involve Ahmed going side to side. It's just kind of this continuity piece of putting it all together in a game. Uh, that is where we have uh, really struggled is, is not putting together a complete offensive game. Yeah, and we we touched on this a bit uh, over text earlier this week, but there was a point in that game where I was just calling for it. I think we were we were driving down. It was a it was the drive that we scored the touchdown to Jones on to go up twenty one to seven. We had run it. Let's see, we had run it down with Gaskin like pretty much the whole way, and then we just continued to take our time. Like to me, that's that's a mismatch, you know. Like we're running it; they can't stop us. Let's keep doing it. Why wouldn't you speed it up in that case, especially later in a drive where the defense has already had a chance to take a break? You know, the whole the whole point of well, you can't go tempo all the time because you need to actually take some time off the clock to give your defense a rest. This is later in the drive; you're down on the five yard line or whatever, mm-hmm. and we're. I, I think I think you just gotta gotta go for it here on in a couple. Of, scenarios throughout a game just add tempo in and see what it does to a a defense because you could really burn them i mean if you get burned great now we know we won't do it again but they never even tried which i thought was a bit disappointing so um and like we mentioned previously on other podcasts uh whenever we do i can't remember a time where it has blown up in our face so i just Mm -hmm. don't see why we haven't gone back to that at all especially this past week yeah, I mean, uh, just in that Auburn game, it really broke things open uh, towards the end of that mm-hmm. first half, which just that four-play, 76-yard drive, uh, there was. You know, no huddle. Mm-hmm. That was the best Jake's looked all season is the throws he made on that drive. Um, and just to, to kind of see that only happen in spurts, you know, granted, we 21-14 win against Utah. Uh, you're okay with that result seven ways to Sunday. However, qualitatively, you'd like to know that you have a little bit more confidence in this offense uh, as the season goes on. So uh, lots to ponder on, lots to keep watching uh, throughout this, this season. Um, plenty of other stuff we could have talked about the offense. The Wildcat is, is just not... Uh, I, 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 uh, I can't stand seeing the quarterback not be involved in that play, and then it, he ends up not blocking anyone as Miles Gaskin's coming over to him. Uh, that's not Jake Browning's fault. That's just, that's just the, the design of that play. 
Um, tons Jake of, did have a good block in the um, in the Bacellian round. Yeah, he had a great great block in there, but that's probably but something I agree. He's involved in and not correct. Yeah, so he knew that was the I case agree. beforehand that he's got to get the backside. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. so yeah, that's that's tough. Anyways, let's talk uh, briefly, very briefly about uh, Arizona State. Uh, we've talked about Nikhil Harry, who is um, just a, an incredible receiver, it, kind of the old school, like, you know, receiver wears number one. He's really good back in the Reggie Roy Williams era, the Mike Williams era, uh, where seemingly everyone's maybe Nikhil Harry's last name is actually Williams. Um, yeah, it might be. That would make sense. Uh, but Nikhil Harry's an old school number one, kind of like in soccer, like an like a number nine. Right. In soccer. That, yeah. that, that has yeah, nice uh, reference. There we go. Um, yeah, so Nikhil Harry is the guy you want to watch. Definitely uh, Arizona State's biggest NFL potential player. Very fun guy to watch. Um, a friend of, of uh, Byron Murphy's as well. They also have Manny Wilkins, their quarterback, who's, who's well-seasoned over the years. A guy that beat UW last year just by taking care of the ball uh, and gritting out some drives. They also have a, a receiver who caught a ball but didn't catch a ball at the end of the game last week, uh, Frank Darby whose nickname is Jersey Frank. Uh, he's from Jersey City, which I don't, you've probably never met anyone from New Jersey. I have. That makes him 15% more insane than your average person. <laughs> um, yep. So just by nature of being from where he is, uh, Jersey Frank is a great deep threat as seen at the end of that game. I would expect uh, ASU to challenge UW a little bit more uh, deep down the sideline and down the field than any other team has at this point. So that should be interesting. Uh, they'll bring a lot of pressure, a team that regularly blitzes five guys. So we should see a good sample size of Jake Browning against pressure, uh, seeing how he responds to that, given uh, given all of what we talked about to start this podcast should be interesting. Yeah, it's Arizona State is weird because they were ranked last week, 23rd, but they played like they were one of the worst teams in the conference last week. Mm-hmm. Um, their second half, just to read off their drives in the second half, these are the first four drives. They had a total of six drives. Uh, their fifth going for, I think, 82 yards and a touchdown. And then the sixth being just the end of the game debauchery that happened in Pac-12 after, after dark. But their first four drives were as follows. One yard, punt. Seven yards, punt. Zero yards, punt. Negative four yards, punt. <laughs> so if we can get them like that this week, which... I would believe so because they're not, you know, our defense is probably a little bit better than San Diego State's defense. I think this one might be over early, but, um, you know, you never know because this is also a team that beat number 15 rated Michigan State two weeks or a week before last week. So um, they have had the advantage of playing back to back weeks in Pac 12 after dark, which adds some black magic. you know, yes. elements to it. So, and this is also Pac-12 after dark being a 7.30 start. So who knows what's going to happen? It's so funny. I mean, if this game were in, win in Tempe at this point, I would, I would like be biting my, my I wouldn't have any fingernails left. Uh, <laughs> but because it's in Seattle and just uh, UW's record in, uh, in the Arizona schools is just so... So treacherous in the last couple of years, um, last more like twenty years. Um, so I just I feel very very okay, very good about this game. Uh, but it's it's it, it is important to know that Coach Herm Edwards. Uh, I don't know if you knew this, Michael, but he he plays to win the game. 
Oh yes, I've heard of that. Before. And that that is why you play is uh, is you play to win the game. So that'll be something to Good keep enough. in mind. Is if Herman Edwards continues to play to win the game uh, throughout this. Brian, this... that's Brian Greasy level analysis. <laughs> Uh, Greasy's got to get back on my good side. I I, I know he can. I, I just wasn't impressed. Uh, you talked about the the hermination that happened in San Diego last mm-hmm. week as ASU, of course, lost because that's just what they what they do once they have expectations. Uh, not a very good week for the Pac-12 following up a what was a good week the week before. Uh, it was it was it was bad. Uh, USC received a, a polite spanking. Um, against Texas, they were up thirteen to three, and then all hell broke loose. Uh, we talked about ASU, <laughs> Chip Kelly's UCLA Bruins were doing calisthenics by the third quarter in the Rose Bowl. Bad, uh, really bad. <laughs> oh, oh, it's so bad for Chip. Um, the Beavers lost a heartbreaker in literal hell, which was in Reno, Nevada. Uh, <laughs> to, it was in like this game it was actually pretty fun, um, but. It was in Reno. There was probably 88 fans in 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 the stadium, uh, 37-35, and the whole game. No one explained it, but there's just like trash floating through the through the screen. No one explained it. I I said it was like old uh, betting tickets that that hadn't been cashed in that were torn up. Um, Beavers end up losing 37-35. Valiant effort. Fun start to the Jonathan Smith era. Is it, is it Reno, the greatest little city in the world, though? Uh, that's what they say. Yeah. Is that that self-proclaimed? I assume. Oh yes. Yeah. It's like you know, okay. world's first. Uh, I've never been, so I Seattle's can't. Seattle's best coffee. Talk. Yeah. Um, to be fair to the Beavs, they did come back. I think they were down by like two or three scores here and made it interesting at the end. So. Yeah, I think it was thirty to 13. building building blocks is it's a positive i guess yeah they're getting there they're getting there uh the offense looks good and i think that beavers fans will take that after what they've been through the last couple years uh correct me if i'm wrong beavers fans that i know you're listening uh however i think we can adopt uh byu into the pac-12 there it's now the pac-13 uh byu played cal arizona to start the season uh and then we'll play washington later it's basically a pac-12 schedule right we can we can adopt them because they uh they they beat wisconsin yeah, I, I actually did a little research into this um, because this has been kind of a hot topic amongst friends uh, over the years of who would you add to the conference? And you obviously need to add two. You can't add one. It would be uneven. So I was trying to figure out who would go with BYU. But BYU checks a lot of the boxes. Uh, it's a research institution, which is basically a requirement for the Pac-12. So getting a little academic over here. Mm-hmm. But uh, they would be seventh in attendance. Uh, Lavelle Edwards Stadium, that is that is attendance to the university, thirty three and a half thousand. Gotcha. Lavelle Edwards Stadium seats sixty three k, which would be the fourth largest stadium in this new Pac thirteen. Um, but the question is, who would be the fourteenth team to even them out? I mean, maybe San Diego State, maybe Boise State. Those are probably the only two maybes. Yeah. Uh, Boise State's too small. You're talking about the one hundred sixth largest TV market in the country which should easily be the smallest in the Pac-12. We're counting, I'm counting WSU as like Seattle and Corvallis as Portland, you know. There's nothing around Boise, like maybe Salt Lake City, but that's still, I mean. That's where where Utah is anyways. I, Um, I, I still think Boise State's too small, so I don't know. I don't know who they would add. Yeah, maybe a Canadian school. Yeah. Yeah. Why not? Maybe, uh. I don't know who. What what schools are even in BC? 
University of British Columbia. Hell yeah. They, they do not have a football team, I bet. So, <laughs> so let's bring in Western then. Hell yeah. Bring back the, the football program. That'd Skull be great. Vice. Yeah. Uh, so, so BYU, uh, our unofficial, we'll just claim them for the week to, to salvage what was a, a garbage week for Pac-12 football. Um, and so we'll talk a little bit more about BYU in a little bit. Uh, big tilts this week within the conference. We got the the annual seems to be the WSU USC game on a Friday, uh, a tradition yep. unlike any other. Um, USC <laughs> lost last season. I think they were ranked in the top five when you, when Wazoo brought them down. Um, Was that two years in a row that WSU beat them? I could be wrong on that, but I, I think feel Wazoo like it... beat Stanford a couple years ago, and that's what yeah. that's what it feels like. Uh, okay, but USC I is actually a favorite in this too. Which... Yes. Yes, I don't even are. know about that anymore. <laughs> the, the one and two USC Trojans playing the three and zero Wazoo Cougars, and I think that people have uh, some more faith in that USC roster at this point than they do with Wazoo. This will be Wazoo's sure. first big test, um, mm-hmm. and so that should be interesting. The other game is is the the site of College Game Day this week. I think if I'm if I'm not mistaken, two out of the four weeks of of college football, uh, it wouldn't be outlandish outlandish to say maybe even three out of the four weeks. Uh, that a Pac-12 team was featured in the game of the week in college football. Obviously, yeah. UW-Auburn week one, Stanford-USC week two, mm-hmm. uh, and now Stanford at Oregon in week four. I think this has become one of my favorite things to do with with my buddies is to discuss who we want to win in this in this game from a UW perspective. I think mm-hmm. it's go card in this situation, uh, but I really don't know. Yeah. Yeah, I think we do. Um, it's Oregon's first game of the season. Uh, I don't know if you are were aware of this, but this is actually the first game where they'll be facing another opponent. Ah. So uh, I I think Stanford is going to, I, I don't want to say run away with it, but I think they're going to manage this and be in control the whole way. Even though they're a one-point favorite, that's just my gut feel. Mm-hmm. But uh, Oregon's offense is decent, and they obviously have Herbert at quarterback, who's a pretty talented guy uh, in his second season at the helm. So um, we shall see. But, yeah, Stanford, I, if they get past Oregon, which I think they will, they have, uh, let's see, Utah, ASU, WSU. The biggest, the biggest test is going to be Notre Dame before they reach the Huskies. Mm-hmm. And it's, at, it's in South Bend, but I feel like Stanford is good enough to – take that one notre dame has been kind of uh they beat michigan but they've only beaten ball state and i'm blanking on the other opponent only by five points i think it was wake forest so, last week no okay. not wake yeah. forest no, no uh i don't know it was a equivalent <laughs> ball state vanderbilt another, yeah, yeah, another yeah. black and gold team yeah yeah so i yeah I think I think we want to root for Stanford here just because I think they actually might get out of that amazing stretch of games mm-hmm. and face us, you know, as a undefeated or let's say they lose to Notre Dame. Okay, one loss team. That's still a great opponent to play against. So um, plus, I just can't root for Oregon in any scenario. Yeah, especially with the giant numbers. I I, I think that that Oregon would have to be so well prepared mentally for this game, mm-hmm. which would be very hard given that they have a first-year coach and given the the, the teams that they have played. Uh, I just don't feel like Stanford's going to no-show this. Uh, and Shaw has walked into to, to Autzen before completely unfazed and with, with teams 
um, they, they were mu- facing much better duck teams and walked out okay. Um, so I feel like Stanford has the mental edge in this game, uh, but I just worry if Stanford has the ability to just put it on if, if all of a sudden you know Oregon puts up 21 in the first quarter. So that, that's basically the only situation I could see where that, that happens. Um, but this game does have very very important effects uh, and implications for a potential Pac-12 North tiebreaker scenario uh, mm-hmm. down the line. So that should be interesting. Uh, I'll just yeah. give you the uh, last two years. The Oregon-Stanford game has gone 49-7 to at Stanford in Stanford's favor, and then at Oregon in 2016, 52-27 in Stanford's favor. So they've definitely had the upper hand for the past two seasons. Yeah, uh, this, this, this would be a, a situation where I think it's kind of a don't think too hard uh, situation where mm-hmm. Stanford's just just going to be better uh, across the board. But uh, we shall see. That's why they play the games, uh, and you play to win the games. I don't know if you knew that. Uh, yeah. So we'll see on Saturday night what happens with those guys. To the national scene here, uh, big winners across week two. Got to think Ohio State beating TCU, and what was mm-hmm. at one point a, a kind of a, a tough sledding game. Uh, in Arlington, although there were a lot of Buckeyes in that stadium for being as close to, to TCU as it was. Uh, and then LSU walking in uh, to Jordan-Hare Stadium and beating Auburn. Uh, much to unfortunate. Us, yeah, very unfortunate. Um, uh, and then I think the other one that I had in there was Alabama uh, in a, their first road game, first test in SEC play against a, a ready Mississippi team, plenty of talent on that team. And they just walked in there and kicked some ass. Uh, and and uh, it appears that the Bama machine is up and running. Um, so those were my big winners. Anyone else that you had for big winners in week three? Uh, Oklahoma State took care of business against a ranked Boise State team, 44-21 at home. So that was a big win. Um, touching on Alabama, I think it's kind of funny because they're playing – texas a&m this week who's ranked 22nd and so just because it's a ranked matchup i feel like people like espn are making it a big deal like oh you gotta watch the cbs 12 30 blah 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 or i guess cbs would be doing the promos my bad um it's a 26 point game like the line is 26 points in favor of alabama which oh is God. more than the line between uw and asu it's just absurd so I don't really see Alabama losing to anybody this year. Yeah. Maybe the Iron Bowl, maybe LSU. I think it might be in Death Valley this year. I could be wrong on that. Mm-hmm. But any of these other games, I don't think there's a chance. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's, it's scary. Uh, we're, we're a ways away from having to worry about Alabama. Um, but, yeah, they are a, a daunting specter at the end of, of anyone's college football season, most likely this year. Uh, the big losers... Auburn got to say it. I mean, losing at home is is never great uh, against a team you were favored against. Ten point favorites at home, uh, and you lose to LSU. Um, didn't play very well. Jared Stidham didn't look great. That offense didn't looked much worse than uh, than the team we played. Although their running game seems a little bit more figured out. Uh, Stidham did not have a good game, as mentioned. Uh, the mm-hmm. biggest loser, though, congratulations on losing all that weight. Uh, Wisconsin, my God, um, mm-hmm. a team that, you know, Cal beat BYU and then BYU walks into Camp Randall and has no problem against Wisconsin. Um, that That's that's a tough hit and one that I would imagine Wisconsin would uh, would struggle to bounce back from in the playoff picture. 
Yeah, I I welcome it though because basically I think you can say UW is on top of Wisconsin in the shuffling order at the top of the the standing or the national leaderboard here, so to speak. Um, obviously, UW and Wisconsin both have a loss, but we lost to Auburn, whereas they lost to BYU. And who knows what BYU is going to be this year? I think we all know Auburn is going to be pretty decent. Um, it's it's eerily similar though. Uh, Wisconsin can't lose a second time, on, which is the same case as UW, and they also only have two ranked opponents left on their schedule in Michigan and Penn State. The only difference, well, one of the differences is they have an easier path to their conference title game because they don't really have anybody that's going to stand in their way to get to that Big Ten or uh, yeah, Big Ten title game. Whereas we could have Stanford standing in our way to do so so we'll see how that shakes out but i don't expect wisconsin to uh to win their conference i think ohio state's gonna run away with that one except for Another, yeah wisconsin's walking into a death trap this week against iowa they that i think oh the, yeah yeah the uh the hawkeyes are ready ready for the kill shot i think uh to to kind mm-hmm. of put wisconsin out of their misery um that's that's my bold prediction of the week but Okay. Uh, I'll let you continue your thought there. Yeah, I think just to wrap up, biggest losers of the week, Big Ten. You have seven non-conference losses in the Big Ten to Ooh. teams. Let me let me list them to you: Akron, South Florida, Temple, Troy, Kansas, <laughs> Missouri, and BYU. So that was pretty poor. And then, like we said previously, Pac-12 South, South, USC, ASU, UCLA, Utah all lose. It makes you wonder who's going to represent the South in the conference championship. Colorado's now 3-0, and but I think that's is still Utah's to lose. Yeah, that's one undefeated team in the Pac-12 South. It is the Colorado Buffaloes. Um, that is certainly interesting. While we're still in the national team picture, I had one more game I want to talk about, but it's okay because it, it falls under the category of games we want to banish Mark Jones to, our favorite uh. Uh, ESPN announcer. Uh, I'll start because mm. I just brought it up. Uh, okay. I want to take Mark Jones. This is, won't be a bad place. You're going to Columbia, Missouri uh, to play Georgia or to watch Georgia go to Missouri. Sneaky game. Missouri's coming off of a big win against Purdue in which they came back uh, on the road. Georgia is playing the first real team that they've played on the road. Uh, Georgia, their non-conference schedule this year, Austin P, Middle Tennessee, and UMass. That's it. So they also haven't played a game like Oregon. They have not played anybody. You thought uh, UW mm-hmm. played some cup- cupcakes last year. Let me take you to the bakery, Mark Jones. Uh, oh. you're, you're watching Georgia. Uh, let's see if he brings up Georgia's non-conference schedule at any point during that game. Something tells me he won't. Yeah, yeah. Maybe uh, he doesn't want to get fired. <laughs> but uh, my my game is actually, you're, you're much too nice to him. My game is UConn at Syracuse for a couple re- reasons. It's not cold there, yet, uh, is it? No, it's not. Plus, it's you're in playing a in a yeah. dome. Yeah, but you're the Orange are favored by 27.5 here, so it's going to probably be a pretty bad game just from a neutral standpoint. But uh, the big kicker is he called a game in Syracuse last week. He called that uh, that Syracuse-FSU game. So he's staying in, uh, in upstate New York, and he's just going to have to find something to do in good old Syracuse. So two is weeks it, in a row for Syracuse. For is him. it safe to say that Mark Jones... Is stuck in. He very much so is in this scenario. Yeah. Well done. Uh, thank you. Uh, it's the first time I've ever said that in none of our texts. So that, that felt right. <laughs> um, yeah. So 
yeah, we'll see. Go go Missouri Tigers. I would love to see that. Throw a wrench in the uh, the old uh, CF party scene. Um, let's get into the best part of this podcast, the great cat and OKG of the week. Um, I initially was going to say Marquise Blair for my... Uh, targeting rant earlier. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna stay away from uh, from okay. ever putting the great cat on 19 year olds unless they're the Liberty punter. Um, the the my, my great cat this week would be uh, gifts of ASU's offensive line chaos. That's <laughs> those things are fantastic in the worst. I've way never possible. seen this. Oh yeah, just type in uh, yeah. Look at look at like FSU O line gifts or or something like that. Um, of just DeAndre Francois, the FSU quarterback, just being mm-hmm. miserably upset with how his offensive line is performing against Syracuse um, in a game that they got absolutely spanked in. And Willie Taggart could also I love jo- it. join that because... Uh, I love this. His, his... Just because Willie Taggart is going to get fired. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he, Will, Willie's not going to even be able to, to go 8-4 and four so that he can go to another job next year. Uh, it won't even, it's, he won't even be able to get to that point. You see what this does to me? I like am wanting a guy to get fired. That's kind of bad. I need to backtrack that a bit. But yeah. it is kind of nice to see him struggle just because of the Oregon connection. Yes, yes. Uh, who is who is your your great cat? Well, by default, it's Mark Jones. Um, <laughs> but then on top of that, uh, you were saying you don't want to put a great cat of the week on a nineteen year old. But we were playing Utah, so. There could be some mid twenties in there. Uh, True. So my great cat of the week is Pita Tonga, who made the pick against Jay Browning, Jake Browning, but then fumbled the interception. Yes. Uh, going into the end zone, I think it was on the eleven yard line, and Utah got zero points out of that drive. So that's my first great cat, and then second great cat of the week would be Utah's fourth down offense, which went. <laughs> 0 for 3. Their final three offensive drives ended in a failed fourth down conversion. The ball was on UW's 2, UW's 20, and UW's 31. So a couple things there. First, amazing job by the defense, but secondly, that game could have been much different if they they were able to convert those. So thank you, defense, and unfortunate for Utah. Yeah, uh, I think you're my new great cat because now I feel way worse about that Utah win after that stat. Um, (laughs) So thank you for that. Uh, Moving into the OKG side of the world, our OKG of week three. Um, First of all, Britton Covey for Utah, heroic performance, uh, being the only guy of discernible talent on that offense uh, and just getting force-fed the ball in situations where he was getting keyed on and uh, took a wallop on a lot of plays. So Britton Covey, tough as nails, uh, (laughs) talking about 25 years old, very receding hairline for a college football player. Yeah, Uh, But Britton Covey was uh, was worth the price of admission for his, uh, his gutsy play, I will say that. Uh, my, my true OKG, and I have, I have a few, uh, Zeke Turner, undrafted free agent who was a UW safety last year, got okay. three tackles on special teams last week for as a linebacker now uh, for the Arizona Cardinals. Cool. Didn't know that. Good for him. Yeah. Um, my does that is that it for your for your list? I've I've, I've got more, but they're they're complicated. <laughs> so <laughs> it's a okay. Long story. I'll. I'll... I'll, fair enough. Yeah. I will go into mine then. Uh, ben Burke Irvin is my first Pac-12 Defensive Player of the Week honors this week after 11 tackles versus Utah. He's now averaging 11 tackles per game, which is the fourth best in the conference. And my second OKG of the week is our 
Uh, future son, Aaron Fuller, ah. who went six six catches for 108 yards. Oh, Aaron. Which is his second of third game, second of three games that he's gone for over 100 yards receiving, which puts him at third in the conference in receiving with 317 yards, uh, only behind LaVisca Chenault Jr. of Colorado with 455 and J.J. Arcega-Whiteside of Stanford with 324. He is amazingly has two yards more than Keel Harry. Mm-hmm. So uh, I think he's up to 17th in receiving nationally. Harry is 18th. There we go. Uh, let's yeah. get let's get Aaron Fuller a touchdown. It's it's time. Yeah, he hasn't it's, had one yet. It's yeah, it's it's Aaron's growing old in front of our very eyes and we got to we got to reward him for for uh, for having some nice games <laughs> for us. Um, two more OKGs. Uh, the first one okay. is a very easy one for me to knock out. Uh, Johnny Busquets is the producer for I'm a Husky Baby, which is what you will hear uh, on the beginning and ending of this podcast. Outstanding. Um, this, uh, this was a long time coming uh, to get this. Johnny Busquets, thank you so much for releasing this and allowing us to do this. This is uh, in our dream world. We would have done this anyways, uh, but we thought about it and said, let's uh, let's actually ask for it. And he said yes. Any- yeah, and who features on this song? Oh, this is Joy Forgerson, uh, aka Young, aka uh, Young Deuce Trey. No, Young Capone, aka Deuce Trey. Um, <laughs> yeah, lots of lots of AKAs. Uh, I, wow, I, as many nicknames and and Twitter handles like Kevin Smith almost. I thought you were about to say as many nicknames as he did uh, carries in his UW career, but that's uh, yeah. that's a different story. Um, and the, the last OKG of the week would be Raymond B. Allen. Let me explain. Raymond B. Allen was the president of University of Washington in 1949. And thanks to Jason Jenks of The Athletic, uh, Jason Jenks had a story this week about a feud between the University of Washington football team and Notre Dame's football team at the same time. How the story goes, uh, before UW, or so UW and Notre Dame play in 1948. Uh, The game doesn't quite go how UW wants it to. Before the 1949 game, UW shows a videotape. I can't even imagine what that process looked like. Shows a videotape in 1949 <laughs> of Notre Dame apparently just cheating their asses off, and how all these calls are going wrong, and they're 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 um, they're just missing calls left and right, and Notre Dame is bending the rules. Notre Dame gets pissed. Notre Dame ends up beating UW 27 to seven uh, in 1949. And there's all these back and forth letters uh, written between Raymond B. Allen uh, and the faculty at Notre Dame and the coaching staff and things like that. Jason Jenks caught all of it. Great story. A little bit hard to, to kind of discern the meaning from it because these dudes are writing 70 years ago. And uh, the, uh, the shit talking was a little different back then. However, <laughs> this, uh, this quote from Raymond B. Allen uh, is is uh, OKG of the week worthy? He says the basic mistake it seems to me was in your repeated violations of the rules of the game. The second, of course, was your unfortunate public remarks. I sincerely hope that both of these mistakes were accidental, um, which is the equivalent of just like fire emojis and gift tweets and all this stuff uh, <laughs> of of in 2018, uh, but much more eloquent from Raymond B. Allen back in the day. Uh, great story by Jason Jenks, and boy, we've come a long way in our ability to uh, to make fun of Notre Dame because now there's tons of ways. You you sounded exactly like Ray in that, so I applaud your your reading there. Thank you. I kind of started talking like me, and I was like, you know what, I'm going for it. 
I'm, uh, yeah, because obviously we know how he sounds. <laughs> yeah, well, everyone sounded the same back then. Um, <laughs> voices were black and white, all that good stuff. Uh, yeah. Okay, G, right? Um, that is. is that is enough for us. Uh, my voice is starting to sound funny, and and we're making puns out of our own our own jokes here. So uh, it's time to go. Stins, thank you so much for doing this. Let's uh, let's beat ASU this week. Go dogs. Go dogs. Thanks to Stin for coming on as always and for Johnny Busquets for letting us use I'm a Husky Baby as our song. Uh, it's on Spotify. It's the best song of all time. I say that unequivocally. Uh, check it out. Peace. Don't let the leash come off. We expose all teams who solve. Train killing dogs who put an illish work. It's the dog pound sucker step up and get murked. Growling and barking, coming down the tunnel. Uh oh, the wild dog broke out of the kennel. All they wanna do is run a hit. So watch out, cause you about to get big. Sorry, you buns in the pack can't win. We top of the pack, how it's always been. Leave me on the 50 and it's gonna be a dog fight.